Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you guys once again for joining the Nine Innings Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Kevin Thompson, founder and CEO of Nine Eight Capital Group. Thank you guys for joining us. As I always say, subscribe to the channel. As I always say, go and get my book, MLB to CFP, live on Apple and Amazon. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email us at info at nineicapitalgroup.com. Or if you can go to the website at www.9icapitalgroup.com to schedule appointments. As you know, we're here to do what? Educate, empower, and engage, and also entertain. And this is the best of. Over the last 12 to 15 months, we've had wonderful individuals on this podcast. We've had PhDs, economists, investment portfolio managers, uh, portfolio managers, uh, CEOs, company owners, uh, agents. Today, we're giving you the best of. The best of what we have had over the last 15 months of the, some of the smartest people on Wall Street and Main Street. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you for all of you who have given your time and energy to our podcast and making it what it is today. But today is the best of the Nine Innings Podcast. I hope you enjoy. Let's get it. This first episode comes from our man, Tyrone Ross Jr., where we talk about crypto, crypto markets, and the blockchain. I hope you enjoy. Instruments out there. Today, we're talking with Tyrone Ross Jr. about crypto. This guy's forgotten more about crypto than I could ever know. Tyrone Ross, welcome to the no. show. This is a little bit aside, but just tell me a little bit about Turnkey and, and, and what you provide there. Yeah, so think of um, Turnkey as the plaid of crypto. So okay. when you go and somewhere it tells you to link a bank account or to link your four hundred one k or whatever, that's what we're doing uh, for the crypto ecosystem, where we're allowing um, individuals to link their crypto accounts at a Coinbase or a Gemini, so that their financial advisors could see. So them. I don't necessarily understand the industry per se. I, I feel like I have a really good knowledge. But you've probably forgotten more crypto than I've ever learned. So just, just for layman's terms, crypto, what act, what is it actually? It's not a currency, but what right. actually is it? Well, it is just depending on where your feet are, right? Yeah. So <laughs> currency here in the United States. Yeah. But I think the term crypto is the original sin of the space, right? Calling okay. it crypto, right? Crypto after cryptography. And crypto craft, cryptographic keys, and yeah. So anyway, cryptocurrency, crypto assets is a better name that I use, right? Cryptocurrency is a form of a crypto asset. I gotcha. Started with a bunch of different technologies coming together to create internet money. Gotcha. All it is, right? So we could send all other things over the internet. There's never been a way for me to send value over the internet the same way I would be able to, if I saw Kevin in the parking lot, walked up to him, handed him $20 and walked away. Yeah. The only person that knew that was me. The only people that knew that was me and Kevin. Nobody else knew. Yeah. They didn't know the amount. They didn't see what I handed them. They didn't see anything. You have, you were never able to do that over the internet. So just the basic way to think about it is it started as internet money and now it's evolved into an entire ecosystem. My understanding is that most banks say, for example, JP Morgan, they have their own internal blockchain, right? Yep. They So how is that different than 
the larger scale blockchain. Uh, we'll just start there. Like, how is that different in regards to the JP Morgan blockchain versus just the larger Bitcoin exchange? Yep. So think of it this way, right? So again, for those out there, a blockchain is just a fancy database. It's mm -hmm. right? okay. all. It records information and transactions. It's a ledger. Mm -hmm. It's a clock. It's a lot of different things. To understand Bitcoin is to know you don't understand it. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> There's two types. There's permission, like JP Morgan's, which mm -hmm. is they get to determine what makes it to the blockchain, gotcha. what it's used for, whatever. There's permission lists, like Bitcoin, yeah. where you don't need anybody's permission no one controls it. It's just technology that runs out there. It's a base layer that folks use to transfer any value anywhere, anytime to anybody without a JP Morgan involved. So yeah. that's the best way to explain it. Next episode comes from Wolf.com and Danny Lorfink. We talk about estate planning, the importance of estate planning, and why everyone may need an estate plan. We've partnered with Wealth.com this year. We've done wonderful They've done wonderful for us as a fintech firm. Thank you, Wealth.com, and we appreciate your service. And thank you once again, Danny Lorsfink of Wealth.com. We're going to educate you on what you can do to get this in order. Let's get Danny Lorfink from Wealth.com. Danny, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here. Appreciate it, man. So we all know uh, the benefits of the estate planning process, right? I mean, most people on our side of the fence, whether it be the advisors or the fintech firms, like we understand that there's a huge benefit, but we also understand that a lot of our clients don't necessarily feel that way because I can't tell you how many times while I say, hey, do you have a will? Do you have a, a medical power of attorney? I mean, people just don't have that in their lives. So, I mean, you you guys are trying to, are, are filling a niche or a need in this world. So, Talk to me a little bit about Wolf.com and how you guys are filling that niche. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and first, let me just take it a little bit back. So the reason why we created Wealth.com was entirely out of a need. Mm -hmm. So my co-founders, they built, they scaled a company globally, sold their business. So they had this big liquidity event, and then they had to create their own estate plans. And who told them to create their estate plan? It was their financial advisor, right? Yeah. Uh, the number one reason why people create estate plans is by the advice of their financial advisor. But the process was this long, laborious, and expensive process, and it really doesn't need to be. It's just that yeah. the industry hasn't evolved past the times of Cicero, frankly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still very much a pen and paper industry. Uh, and when you look at what trust and estate attorneys are doing, they're never writing new language. Like They all have their preferred forms. They all mm -hmm. have uh, their preferred provisions that they're going to slot into the document if it matches up with a certain client circumstance. So this is really a space that is ripe for uh, for disruption to get more people into the fold. So you're talking about clients that don't have estate plans. Well, 50% of clients of financial advisors don't have estate plans. That's a little better than the national percentage where 68% of Americans don't have an estate plan, but still it ain't good. Yeah. So, so how do you like overcome that hump and how do you as the advisor facilitate getting your client's plan in order? Because at the end of the day, most advisors are not just promising to like allocate assets. They're saying, hey, I'm doing holistic wealth planning for you. And part of that holistic wealth planning is generational wealth transfer. 
and your financial plan needs to be informed by what comes next. What happens when you pass away? How are assets going to transition to your next of kin, to the, the folks that you want to leave your legacy to? It's, it's taking a complex strategy and making it uh, more accessible to the, to the lay individual. And you guys yep. have done a phenomenal job at that. Um, but from a disruption standpoint, you're absolutely right. Most of it's boilerplate. Most of it's the same language across all these different, you know, categories like estate plans, uh, uh, medical power of attorneys, and all of that. And then, why should someone have to sit through hours and hours of just uh, of meetings with an attorney and get charged six to seven thousand dollars for something that they can basically get? You know, if you, if you just boilerplate it for me, I can give you the information. You can create something for me. So you guys are, are feeling that need indeed for sure. Yeah, and I'd actually change one of the words there, and the word is boilerplate, because I think boilerplate in many instances brings to mind this notion of lowest common denominator, kind of this out of the box, not customized, and that's really not the case at all. Uh, what, What we did and what was core to our ethos was not presenting some legal Zoom-esque solution, which I mean, no, knocks down. I think they, they do a great job with their, their niche mm-hmm. over there, but, but really elevating it and saying, how can we, as people that just went through this liquidity event and understanding our needs and wanting really high quality estate planning documents that are customized to our circumstances, deliver this at scale, deliver the same quality that you should in theory get at it with a trust and estate attorney or greater, mm-hmm. but at a fraction of the cost and with a lot less friction. And that's what technology at the end of the day is supposed to do. It's supposed to reduce frictions, increase accessibility, reduce costs, and hopefully increase quality and lower the chance of error. On this third episode, we were talking with Nancy Davis of Quadratic Capital. Nancy, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal mind. She has a mind that loves to do investing in a slightly different, talking about volatility, talking about some really high level topics here. Nancy Davis of Quadratic Capital Management. Nancy Davis of Quadratic Capital Management. Today we're talking about volatility and inflation. The only two things that matter. Nancy Davis of Quadratic Capital Management. Nancy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So give you guys a little background. Nancy Davis founded Quadratic Capital Management in 2013 and is the portfolio manager in, in our lexicon. We call it the, the PM. That's just what we do in our business. But uh, for Quadratic Interest Rate Volatility and Inflation Hedge ETF, ticker IVOL, and the Quadratic Deflation ETF, ticker BNDD. So before we go any further, uh, Miss Davis, I want to tell you, can I call you Miss Davis, Nancy? What, what, what? You, can call me you can call me Nancy. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so wh- how did you come about founding this firm? Like why? I mean, did, did you just come up and say, you know what? I, I have an idea and I want to start my own company. How did this come about? Well, I was very fortunate to spend almost a decade at Goldman Sachs, Mm -hmm. and um, that was a great training ground. I was uh, on the proprietary desk there, so we managed Goldman's own capital. This is uh, pre-financial crisis when those kind of desks existed, and Mm I am, um, I have like kind of a different way of investing a, a different style. And so I just thought, you know, it's very unique. There's a need for it in investors portfolios and then kind of 
I guess through that experience, um, decided that I wanted to start my own firm in 2013. We talk about equity market volatility, right? We talk about currency market volatility, and we talk about fixed income volatility. You are specializing in the interest rate volatility space. So how does that impact equity market returns? And perhaps how does that impact investor sentiment to a degree? Well, I think the media gives a lot of attention to the VIX, which is Mm -hmm. a certain specific type of equity volatility. But anytime that there's an options market, there has to be a vol market because volatility goes into pricing options. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing that a lot of investors just don't realize, um, which they probably will eventually, is that any place that they have residential mortgages inside their portfolio, those are actually short options. They're actually short fixed income volatility because U.S. homeowners are long the option to prepay their loan whenever they want. Mm -hmm. Therefore, owners of that financial mortgage are short options to homeowners. And whenever you're short options, you're short vol. And it's specifically fixed income vol, not equity vol. And so that's why part of our, our firm was really giving investors a way to access long fixed income volatility, long interest rate volatility, instead of only being short with some of these uh, passive indices. Is the Fed Fed's uh, decision to not reinvest impacting the interest rate volatility sector? Well, QE was very vol dampening. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's logical to think that the opposite quantitative tightening um, when the Fed allows mortgages to mature and roll off their balance sheet will be vol increasing. And mm-hmm. so far, so, so far, this is been the case. Um, you know, the caps are really small. I think the thing to keep in mind is that the Fed's, it's called the SOMA holdings, which are what the Fed actually went out and bought with the QE purchases or their active purchases. That balance sheet piece of their portfolio is $8.2 trillion. It's ginormous. <laughs> <laughs> and the caps just increased in the month of September, but even the doubling of the caps is still relatively um, tiny compared to the Fed's balance sheet. So I do think there's a lot more potential volatility coming in the interest rate and fixed income markets. And I think it's a good time for investors to like wake up and smell the coffee and just be aware any place that they own the ag index or core fixed income, about a third of that index is short vol, short fixed income vol because of mortgages. So basically higher interest rates, lower asset pricing, lower values. But you know what comes with that? Higher yields, right? <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because the U.S. yield curve is so incredibly inverted that mm-hmm. although the Fed has hiked policy rates and the market believes the Fed's going to hike more, the longer dated bonds are actually paying less yield than shorter dated bonds, which is not a normal environment. So the market is definitely in a kind of abnormal state. And I think the the other times the Fed has tried to unwind their balance sheet, it hasn't gone very well. And so I think right now it's a really tough time for investors because inflation is super elevated in our day-to-day lives. Um, But interestingly, inflation expectations in the future are not not very expensive. Um, so the market consensus is definitely that the Fed hiking policy rates is going to cool uh, future inflation and that we've reached peak inflation. And I think that's 
where there is potentially an opportunity for investors to add inflation uh, exposure to their portfolio because the market is not pricing it. The Fed might have retired that word transitory, but the yeah. market does not. Next up, we have Johnny Collins, a Fort Worth native and a true TCU uh, alumni. Um, he is co-owner of Community National Title. Johnny Collins enjoyed the show. We talked about finance. We talked about uh, credit markets. We talked about interest rates and how that's impacting title industry. Johnny Collins, thank you for your time. TCU legend. A, this is for Horn Frog Nation. Mr. Johnny Collins. Johnny Collins. TCU legend. Hall of Famer. Johnny Collins. Let's get it. Have Johnny Collins on the 90 News podcast today. Johnny, thank you for taking some time just to speak with us a little bit about finance, a little bit about just everything that's going on today, man. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey, so but before we get started, I want to talk to you about TCU because when, when I look at all the, the, the accolades you have from TCU and, and what Horn Frog Nation means for not only just for you, but just for the doubt for the Fort Worth area in general. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, talk to me a little bit about TCU, what it means to you. And because uh, we both kind of went there at the same time. If you don't know, I was there only for a semester. So I consider myself a Horn Frog. But tell me a little bit, a little bit about, you know, your time at TCU before we get started in the nuts and bolts of this. Just thing. Having the an amazing experience athletically and, and and we achieved a lot of good stuff and made a bunch of great memories and friends. Um, most of them I'm, I'm, I still talk to weekly, if mm -hmm. you will. So, you know, and then I grew up right down the street from TCU. So it was just kind of a, an extension of, of really, I hate to say it this way, but it's really kind of an extension of, of who I am, how I was raised. And uh, it's a big part of my life. So, you know, <laughs> look, man, I, I don't know what, what else to tell you. I've been a frog for a long time. You know, just empowerment, right? Black History Month, I, and and we have powerful individuals on this call today. We have two black business owners, right? Two yeah. African American business owners, and this conversation today is going to be rooted around just seeing something different, right? Because sure. yes, I played in the major leagues. <laughs> yes, Johnny was a great a, a, a great athlete, but it's bigger than that, right? Right now, Absolutely. we are business owners and being in this light and having this microphone to be able to talk to our community about how we're ascending and, and providing value. Yeah, I think it's, this, this is a crucial conversation, man. So I appreciate you having you today. No, thanks again for having me. And I agree with you. So community national title. Um, tell me a little bit about your business. Like we, we, we've been able to do some beautiful things. I always say title is is the only insurance that insures the past mm -hmm. any other insurance that you get is going to insure the future we we insure the past we basically uh make sure that when people go to close on a house or on a real estate transaction we make sure that the 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 um the agreement which is documented by the contract involved is followed to a t and keep mm -hmm. both parties uh actually safe we're actually a, we have a fiduciary duty to you know take care of the money and uh, it just makes sure people do what they say they're going to do based on on the contract. And we do that. We've been able to do it really well. And um, and here we are. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm thankful. So what are some of the things that you wish you would have known before you walked off into the business? Like you, like you just mentioned that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things we didn't know. Would you have changed anything in regards to the preparation of just saying that we're just going to start a title agency? 
I mean, that's kind of a trick question because absolutely I would have changed. The, if I knew then what I know now, yes. Mm -hmm. But if I had known then what I know now, I probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's, it's one thing that I believe in. I believe in just do it anyway. You know, yeah. no matter what, the, don't let your lack of stop your in spite of, right? Just do it anyway. Wow. And sometimes I feel, I feel like you just got to do it anyway. And that'll keep you from thinking too much yeah. and getting to a place to where you just become afraid and then you become stagnant and then just like, ah, never mind. It won't work anyway. Yeah. If we had a thought about it and, and knew really what we were getting into, we probably would not have done the financial side of things. Um, sure. It's Interest rates have gone from zero to almost five in a matter of what, 13, 14, 15 months. How is that impacting your business in regards to title loans or well, well, just the title industry in general in regards to people buying properties? And, and the, the, you know, when, when you're at zero, zero to two percent and people was probably buying and selling properties all day long. Right. But now it's yeah. at five. It becomes a little bit more difficult. So what do you well, guys the misnomer, the misnomer is people are still buying properties yeah. all day long. Mm -hmm. everybody is just not buying properties all you. day long. You know, yeah. um, it's funny because I closed on a, on a personal property. I did a refinance um, last month and I think my interest rate was 6%. I was looking this morning on an investment property. That same interest rate is at now 5.1%. Yeah. So, so interest rates are coming back. People are kind of getting off the fence. Did it, did it slow things down for us? Absolutely. It slowed things down for the industry because people were so shocked. That interest rates shot up so fast. But the reality of it is, this guy, 7% is a really good interest rate. Yeah. It's just that we were in the two and threes, and those were the greatest interest rates in the history of mankind, you know, outside of zero. Yeah. So I think it's just people getting readjusted to know this is the new reality mm -hmm. and that interest rates are not going to stay, you know, at in the twos forever, just like they're not going to, they weren't going to stay in the sevens forever. Mm -hmm. They're starting to balance back out. Our economy is kind of starting to, Try its best to stabilize, and that could change tomorrow. Nobody has a crystal ball, and we didn't know what's going to what's going to happen. Yeah. But as it pertains to to real estate purchases, our country needs people mm -hmm. to go out and make the thirty year note strong. And the best yeah. way to do that is let folks buy houses. So I, I'm I'm you know I'm encouraged. I'm, I've not never been discouraged throughout this process. I feel like even more folks are getting ready to refinance and, and purchase homes. So I, I think we're in a great place. On for his second interview, Ron and Sana, 10 Minutes with Ron, a wonderful episode, a wonderful opportunity. We talked about markets back in November of 2022. We talked about interest rates. We talked about how the Fed may impact overall markets. Some of it came to fruition. Some of it may, uh, may not have. But again, a lot of, in, uh, of, of intellectual property here. Thank you, Ron and Sana, for your, uh, your impact on our show. And here's a clip from that episode. CNBC contributor, Ron and Sana, we're talking those damn Yankees, we're talking inflation, and we're talking the USD. Here's an interview with Ron and Sana. 10 minutes with Ron. Ron and Sana, CNBC contributor, and a friend of the show. Ron, thank you for joining us today, my friend. Absolutely. Hey, I got a couple questions for you. Great CPI print today. I know the market's yep. trying, to, trying to rally off the back of that. I don't know why the rally, why the market wants it so badly. I know they're afraid that the that the Federal Reserve will over tighten and and cause a recession. Uh, what are your like, like? What are your impressions of today's CPI number and and the market expectations? So you know what's interesting is I saw somebody put up some great data. So if you if you take the last four months of CPI annualized mm -hmm. by next year, you're at a two point seven percent inflation rate. Bingo! <laughs> right, that's the whole thing right there. 
Yeah. Right. So and there are reasons to believe that we're not going to see much upward pressure on inflation going forward. Yeah. So the first the first relief is the Fed doesn't go 75 basis points or three quarters of a point in December. They probably go 50. We're starting to hear from Fed officials that it's time to slow down the pace and reduce the size of future increases. Eventually, we're going to hear them say it's time to stop and let the lagged effect of over four percentage points of rate increases work through the economy. It's already hit the real estate sector hard. So you know that rents are going to come down. You've already seen housing prices come down. Big component of CPI. Energy's come down. Food will come down if we get a resolution to the war in Ukraine, at least for emerging market nations. Yeah. Uh, and and we'll see, you know, as supply chains uh, continue to improve, which is already happening, mm-hmm. inflation will abate and the yeah. Fed will have done its job. The real question now is, have they threaded the needle so that it's a soft landing or have they already done so much that we're getting a recession next year? That's the next critical question for markets. Well, historically, the Fed has always over tightened, always yep. done more than enough, or more than their their fair shares. So what's stopping them from doing that exact same thing, right? Nothing. And we're, you know, again, they raise rates so something breaks. We've seen the cryptocurrency market break meaningfully in the last 48 to 72 hours. Yeah. Don't know if that represents systemic risk. But yeah. the rest of the world's also weak. So yeah. there have been times in the past where the Fed's gone so far is that they create problems in other countries that force them to stop raising rates because the strength of the dollar is adversely affecting overseas economies, which we've already seen. Mm-hmm. Look, I think we're getting nearer the end of this process than we are in the middle of it. Yeah. And I, my guess is the first three months of next year, the Fed will have completed its process. And then oh. you're off to the races is an open question. What really <laughs> matters is... Have they thrown us into a recession? Do corporate earnings have to come, estimates have to come down a lot? And is that the final nail in the coffin for the bear market where we get another leg down and then the Fed starts to ease and we rip to the upside and, and it's a cyclical or secular bull market that starts all over again? Wow. Well, that'll be good for some of the political parties that are in session right now. I know that we had a big event on, on the 7th uh, with the elections and everything like that. I mean, I know some people may want to want a different outcome and all of that. We won't get into that, but uh, you mentioned the dollar and this is just be the last question. Cause I know you have some, you have, you have things you have to do. Um, I've always have been a proponent of weak dollar. If the dollar, well, not a weak dollar proponent, but as the dollar weakens, the market's going to do better. So you're seeing that right now, the adverse effect, you're seeing the Euro USD almost at parity right now. You saw the, uh, the, the pound in the USD almost go under parity, but go back above it. And then now you're seeing the yen and the, and the USD kind of the yen trying to get, starting to get some strength. So you think, do you believe that the dollar weakness that you, that it should happen if we lower rates, could that could be, could that be a boon for markets moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, for a couple of reasons, number one, you just automatically reprice risk assets based on a weaker dollar and you reprice them higher. Number two, it takes pressure off, foreign markets so that you're not exporting inflation into other countries. Uh, and, and number three, obviously, it reflects the fact that the Fed's loosening rather than tightening, or at least stopping. And that's more of an all clear signal for, for risk assets. And you see how, how much rates drop today mm. on the CPI print, yes. and the dollar will follow rates, as it often does. So instead of being up, you know, 17% year to date, you know, we've already paired back a, a full percentage point in change. Uh, on the value of the dollar. Now, you don't want that to reverse too fast yeah. because that has its own set of, of, of problems associated with it. But by the same token, you do want the dollar to ease up for a, as all the reasons we suggested you know, so far. And then 
you know, it also makes emerging market investments that much more interesting because the dollar weakens. Um, you get more bang for your buck when you're repatriating your profits from overseas markets that might rally in the face of a synchronized global recovery if that were to take place. Mm -hmm. And so then when the dollar starts falling, you start looking at EM, which is pretty beaten up this year. Yes. And again, it's 5 to 10% of somebody's portfolio typically, but that's where you can pick up a little extra VIG, if you will. Being the Sicilian that I am, I use that expression <laughs> quite freely. Um, but but that could you know that could help juice your your returns next year. And finally, the most requested episodes were the ones from Mr. Jonathan Clements of the Humble Dollar. Uh, he's a, a wealth of knowledge, a wonderful Humble Dollar blog that we've been on. Thank you, Mr. Clements, for having us on writing for your for your blog as well. And thank you for impacting our show. We're going into the weeds, like my man James McGlynn would say. We're with Mr. Jonathan Clements of the Humble Dollar. And yes, we're talking retirement planning because we're about to go into the weeds with Jonathan Clements. Let's get in Clements, Humble Dollar, extraordinaire, uh, multiple books he's written as well. Jonathan, Mr. Jonathan Clements, thank you for joining our 90s podcast today, my friend. Hey, Kevin, it's great to be on with you again. So... I know the humble dollar has gone from, you know, a a kind of like a part-time journey for yourself to a full-time day job. And you've had multiple, multiple uh people uh have their input in the humble dollar. And I know it's changing a little bit. And and you know one thing, John, uh, we're all curmudgeons on that humble dollar. We're all old guys like ah stay off my lawn. We're, the, the the comments are extraordinary. So Talk to me a little bit about the the where humble dollar is today and uh, and what you envision moving forward. So, Kevin, the site was launched at year end two thousand and sixteen. So we're about six and a half years into this. You know, you go back to the initial months of humble dollar, and I was getting about sixty thousand page views per month. Yeah. Last month in July, we had five hundred and twelve thousand page wow. views. It was the uh, the best month ever for the site. Congratulations! Um, and you know, one of the things that's I think helped to drive traffic this year is the site has become more focused. So mm -hmm. when I launched it, I really didn't know what it was. <laughs> it was just it was just a, a blogging platform and a chance for me and some other people to write about what we were interested in in terms of finance. Today, it's much more focused on retirement issues. And the audiences, those approaching retirement or in retirement. And, you know, as you know from your friend James McGlynn, you know, we write about some pretty nerdy stuff. I mean, one yes. of the topics that gets people really hot and bothered on Humble Dollar is so called IRMA, these income related monthly adjustment amounts, yes. this Medicare premium surcharge. You know, I know that if I run a story on IRMA, I'm going to get great traffic that day. I don't think there are many websites out there that can make that claim. Retirement planning, it's deep. It's very, very deep. So I appreciate I what that, you're doing. Yeah. I think when a lot of people think about money management, they immediately go to the investment piece. Yeah. Um, we spend 90% of our time talking about the financial markets and which funds or stocks we ought to own. Yeah. We really need to flip that script. I mean, that should be 10% of the conversation. When you start to think about retirement planning, you're, you're dealing with issues like Medicare. Should you be on medic, traditional Medicare or Medicare Advantage? You know, once you decide that, you're like, how, are you going to get what sort of Medigap 
policy. What sort of drug plan are you going to get? Are these IRMA premium surcharges for Medicare going to be an issue? When are you going to claim Social Security? What is going to be your housing situation in retirement? For people who approach retirement or in retirement, the financial world gets really complicated. And the last thing that they really need to worry about is you know whether they own this mutual fund or that mutual fund that is immaterial compared to these other huge decisions they need to make immaterial i'm glad you said that because even in the financial planning process i humbly believe that that is such a small part of the puzzle that everything else around you can can destroy your financial life versus just oh, a stock market going down 10 or 15 percent. so you're absolutely right from that standpoint some arguments against you know Medicare Advantage versus Medicare. I mean, talk to me a little bit about uh, what is your understanding around Medicare Advantage and why some would, someone would go towards Medicare Advantage versus just traditional Medicare? So at least in the short term, Medicare Advantage will tend to be less costly. Mm-hmm. If you do traditional Medicare, you know, you're going to have to, beyond your the Medicare premiums, which everybody has to pay, you know, you are going to have to have this Medicare policy. You do need to buy a drug plan. By contrast, if you get Medicare Advantage, you know, often you'll get drug coverage as part of the plan, and you're not even allowed to buy one of these Medicare policies that fills in the gaps. Mm-hmm. So initially, Medicare Advantage can be less costly, but you know, you may find down the road that there are co-pays or the need to go out of network and so on that can make it much more costly. And beyond all that, a lot of people who end up on Medicare Advantage tend to chafe because, you know, they do need to live within the restrictions of the Medicare Advantage plan. You know, mm-hmm. there may be a limited group of doctors that they can go to. If they're out of state for whatever reason and they're traveling and they get sick, it may be an issue because the Medicare Advantage plan doesn't extend that far. So there are limitations with Medicare Advantage, but the long and the short of it is, if you can't afford traditional Medicare, you know maybe Medicare Advantage is the way to go. It may be the less costly plan for you, particularly if you can keep yourself in reasonably good health through retirement. Question for you that it's often overlooked for retirees: the widow's tax. I mm-hmm. know people don't necessarily think about it because you know you're you're, you're on your way. You're getting your social security, your, your, your spouse may be getting their social security, you may be getting half of that. So you got a pretty, in, pretty good income coming there. Then you have the IRA distributions coming as well. So you have all these distributions coming to you. Maybe you have some annuities and things like that. Maybe some pensions, all this money coming to you. And then one of the, uh, your spouse suddenly passes away. And now that puts you way up into a higher tax bracket. So we, we very rarely talk about that quote unquote tax. That's out there on widows or widowers on the humble dollar blog. Is that often talked about? It's come up a few times and it is an interesting um, dilemma. So for people who who are new to this, you know, imagine that you have a certain income. Let's just say it's one hundred thousand dollars a year and you're getting taxed as a couple. You're going to be in a relatively low tax bracket. But then if one of you dies, suddenly you've got that hundred thousand dollars of income still. But you're getting taxed as a single individual. So suddenly your tax bill goes way up. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, upon the death of the first spouse, there will be a some reduction in, in income. You know, one of your social security benefits will go away, though the larger benefit will be continued for the s- surviving spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, most people, you know, despite that slight reduction in income, will end up in a higher tax bracket. And that's a bit of a shock because, you know, even as you 
paying this bigger tax bill, you are still often facing the same sort of costs. You know, you've still got the same house, you're staying, paying the same property taxes and so on. So it can be an issue. And one thing that you want to think about early in retirement, particularly before you claim Social Security, before you get to those required minimum distributions, is whether you want to start doing some Roth conversions mm -hmm. so that you have a pool of tax-free money that be used by the surviving spouse to maintain that standard living after the first spouse dies. The most popular topic outside of Irma on the home <laughs> dollar as of just say 2022, 2023. What's what's been one of those topics that's been hot as you know, if I say this outside of Irma, if I say this, I know I'm gonna get some some readers uh in an uproar or getting them commenting. Well, one of the topics, and again, you know, we are in nerd land here. Yeah. Kevin. But one of the things that people get really excited about is the 4% rule. For people who are novices, the 4% rule was created by Bill Bengen back in the early 1990s. He did a study that said, essentially, if you withdraw 4% of your portfolio's value in the first year of retirement, and thereafter, you step it up with the inflation rate, you should be able to make it through a 30-year retirement without depleting your portfolio. So that's the 4% the rule. But people have been saying, well, 4% is too much because the stock market is much more richly valued now and bond yields are lower. Other people say, oh, you can do more than 4%. You need to tweak it by doing this or that. It goes on and on, Kevin. I mean, everybody's trying to find what the magic rule is. And I think what it comes down to is this. You know, one, nobody in the history of the world has actually ever followed the 4% rule. Mm -hmm. You know, where they blindly withdraw 4% in the first year of retirement and then step up that amount every year with inflation. I mean, nobody in their right mind is going to do that when faced with, say, a huge stock market decline. Yes. You know, we naturally cut back our spending. Um, but second, you know, and it follows on from that, most people don't need the same amount of money every year and they are willing to be flexible. So potentially you could withdraw more than 4% in the first year if you're willing to make those cutbacks. And if we get a year like 2022, where the stock market goes 20, down 20, 25%. If you're flexible in your spending, if you say this year, you know, we're just going to take the driving vacation rather than the big flight to Europe and the fancy vacation there, you can manage around that 4% rule. It's a great guideline, but you could potentially spend more than that in any given year as long as you're willing to cut back when we have rough financial times. Once again, it's been an incredible year, incredible journey. The beginning of our 9i Capital Group, RIA here in the state of Texas, a wonderful beginning. And thank you to each and every one of you who have been on the podcast, whether you're on the best of or not. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for all of the education that you've that you've provided all the empowerment that you've provided and all the engagement that we have received. Because as you know, we're here to do what? Educate, empower, and engage. Subscribe to this wonderful channel because we have more to come in 2024. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go to info at 9icapitalgroup.com. If you want to schedule an appointment, go to 9icapitalgroup.com and check us out. Stay humble. Stay safe. We'll see you again soon.